in the fight for infrastructure, it's Joe against Joe. Who will come out on top? Nobody knows. Hey, girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an I, and this is Did You Hear the News? This week, we saw much more of the same in Washington, the same old divisions, the same old arguments. It's just all getting so old. So Joe Biden's infrastructure plan is already being met with pushback, of course, from Republicans who say it's not infrastructure. Some of them say only 20% of it is infrastructure. They don't include certain things like broadband and care and all that stuff to be infrastructure, which is not surprising. It's not surprising at all, especially when you have, I think it's North Dakota Governor Kristen Noem saying like houses and pipes, that's not infrastructure. So like nobody should be surprised that they're, going to use the argument that the bill isn't infrastructure when infrastructure uh, has clearly evolved and changed over time. So that's just that with Republicans, but it's not just Republicans. It's always going to be Joe Manchin for me. I don't know what to even say about Joe Manchin besides the fact that He is so annoying. (laughs) Joe Manchin in an op-ed this week confirmed once again what we already knew. He does not want to get rid of the filibuster at all. He's dead set on not getting rid of the filibuster and preserving it at all costs. Now, he, he didn't say he was against reforming, but he's for sure against getting rid of it, which is going to be a problem because if I'm not mistaken, we're going to need like what, 51 votes, I think, just to get rid of it. He's not here for it. And so that would be the 50th vote, not to mention Kirsten Cinema, who I think has already said she doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster either. But Joe Manchin just has, just has to remind us every day of the week that he does not want to get rid of the filibuster. Even if that means nothing's going to get done in Congress. For some reason, he is dead set stuck on working with Republicans. Now, do I think that's a bad thing? No. I don't think it's a bad thing to want to try to work with his Republican colleagues. I understand that he feels like, you know, he has friends in uh, the Senate. He can talk to them. He can reason with them. I get it. I get it. But what makes him think they want to work with Democrats? That's my issue. Like, what makes him think that Republicans want to come on board with anything that Democrats are doing? Especially when they're already saying that they only view about 20% of the infrastructure plan to actually be infrastructure. And it's like they never want to give a little. They just want to take everything away. So what makes him think that Republicans wanting to work together does not equal chopping 80% of the infrastructure plan as is because that's what we've seen with Republicans, right? It goes all the way back to Obamacare where they felt like they watered down that plan so that Republicans would come on on board and they were like, just kidding, we're not. Like what (laughs) makes them think, what makes them feel that Republicans are not just going to keep playing this game of back and forth ping pong in between like, well, 
we only want 20% of this and you guys think that, you know, all of it's infrastructure. They don't want to meet in the middle. They just want to chop everything they feel like is an infrastructure. And that's not going to get us anywhere. Like we're in no real terms, super competitive when it comes to our infrastructure anyways, when you look at other countries. So it's just like, why continue to be behind the curve? because Republicans don't want to benefit anyone. Like, it's not like anything that Joe Biden has proposed in any of his plans would only just affect people that voted for him. It's going to have pluses for people who didn't vote for him, people in rural areas who are most likely to lean Republican, like broadband, Places that are rural are less likely to have good broadband internet and Wi-Fi. And maybe that's a good thing. So more people can't, you know, get on the QAnon train. I don't know. But it's not to say that those places should not be able to have access to high-speed internet. It's 2021. Once again, I still can't believe that in 2021, rural places don't have broadband and I'm from a very rural area and I know the struggle I know how certain companies don't want to actually work or like set up you know wi-fi towers and stuff in those areas I get it but it still doesn't make sense to me it's still crazy to me in 2021 that people like legit don't have wi-fi like I thought Wi-Fi came with the houses these days. I don't know. But anyways, so it's just it's just crazy to me to see how Republicans will continue to like rail against everything that could actually help their constituents and Joe Manchin continues to help them in doing so. That's what's crazy to me. Joe Manchin will keep saying my constituents, my constituents, my constituents. And it's like, these are the same rural people who could actually benefit from infrastructure as well. Like they're not in a vacuum. And on top of that, like you're a United States Senator, you're not a state Senator. So that means that the choices you make don't just impact your constituents. They impact all of Americans, like, this, I don't understand. What What are you there for? What are you there for is a good question that Joe Manchin asked his colleagues. Like, well, if they don't want to work together, what are they here for? They're there because they want power, Joe. They want power. They want money. They want to be able to get money from, from their interests and not really care if they help people. That's why they're there. Or they would actually be trying to work with people. Or we wouldn't have to hope that 10 moderate Republicans would want to work with Democrats every time. Like, (laughs) Republicans can work together so hard for the interests of corporations and all of that. But when it comes to normal people, baby, like who? The peasants? No, we can't. We can never help the peasants. It's always big government and we want to keep government small until it's giving tax cuts to the wealthy. But anyways, so yeah, Joe Manchin is going to continue to be a thorn in the side of Joe Biden's plans for anything that he wants to do. And I just find it remarkable that a man who is only in charge of or representing, as he'd say, constituents who number about, I think I saw a tweet that said there's like 122nd of the amount of people in California, but he can hold up basically things that would benefit people that the majority of the nation wants. It is insane. It doesn't make any sense. That's why 2022... Y'all gonna have to vote. Y'all just gonna have to vote and get more Democrats in office because it's not a real majority until we 
get out of this 50-50. Like, it's always going to be a mess, and Joe Manchin is always going to have power, and he knows he's going to have power. And he claims he doesn't like it. He claims that he doesn't like having to be in this position. But it's a position he put himself in. No one has put him there. He's done it to himself, and it makes no sense at all. Like, it's just really annoying at this point. It's like every day I wake up, it's like Joe Manchin is opposed to something. And it's just shenanigans, honestly, truly. So, yeah, that's where we are with infrastructure. And we're just in the beginning stages, you guys. We're just in the planning think tank stages where Joe Biden has said he's willing to work with Republicans. He's really willing to listen to them and hear what they have to say. He's willing to give it a go, but he cannot settle for doing nothing. And if the Republicans had their way, that's what we would be doing is nothing. Like they don't want to get anything done. They don't have plans for anything. They didn't have a plan for healthcare. They don't have a plan for infrastructure. They don't have a plan for immigration. All they want to do is stop the plans that the Democrats are trying to put forth for all of these things. And it makes no sense. What also makes very little sense is you guys' former president (laughs) speaking to a lot of Republican donors this weekend down here in South Florida and continuing to just peddle the lie that he won the election. It's like, oh my God, If I was Joe Biden, I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me, Mariah Carey style? Because it's getting really creepy, the fact that he cannot get over the lie that he won the election. He did not. He did not. He did not win the election. That just is what it is. It is what it is. He didn't win the election. But he's going to crash your wedding. And tell the same lie. He's going to speak in front of crowds and tell the same lie. He's going to put out statements that look like they were supposed to be tweets. uh, But he doesn't have Twitter anymore. And he's going to continue to push the lie that he won the election. Anywhere he goes, anytime he can speak, anytime he can talk, anytime he can type, he's going to spread the lie that he won the election. And it's just patently false. And... At this point, you'd think his base would be like, okay, like we're ready to move from that. But no, they are not. They're not ready to move on from that, even though Joe Biden has been in office for going on three months now. It's just, it's like, I want them at this point to be released from the shackles of the lie because we all suffer. But that's not what they're going to do. He's going to continue making money and defrauding people off of the same line. And it's just very sad. We also found out in reports the past week that he has just grifted so many people out of money. It's really sad. I want to feel sorry for these people. But at the same time, I'm like, what did you expect? So apparently, one of the sites that the former president used to take donations from normal everyday people like you and me that actually pay taxes, uh, this site had basically defaulted the giving of donations to like weekly and it was very like it was buried very deeply within the like terms and conditions so a lot of people didn't know that they were giving money to him once a week yes like once a week and then apparently it was very hard to turn off that automatic giving uh after you had basically sent that first donation and in the report there was this one man he I think was retired he might have been living off a disability it was some some way that his pay was being supplemented and he 
was not aware that he was giving $500 a week. Once again, he's living off of like $1,000 a month. He wasn't aware that he was giving $500 a week. Now, my first question, if I were to be able to speak with him, would have been, why were you giving half of your monthly income to begin with? But that's neither here nor there. I'm not a victim, blamer, or shamer. Uh, but it turns out he gave his what he thought was a one-time donation, and it turned out to be a weekly donation that he was not aware of, and he did not find out about it until his accounts and everything was frozen. Like he had no money in the bank. He was in the negative. And I just thought that was terrible. I just thought that was terrible because I knew all of this time that most of the people that were giving to him were most likely not those people who are corporations and have a lot of money or those donors that you know, are worth millions and billions of dollars. It's those everyday folks in rural towns and stuff that don't have money like that who are getting frauded into making weekly, weekly payments. This man said he gave in one week and then basically he was charged like every week for like a month and a half before he realized anything. That is insane. Insane. I don't, I find it hard to even wrap my head around because I'm one of those people who anytime money comes out of any of my accounts, I get a text message. But think about the older people who are sitting at home living off a of disability or retirement or social security who aren't that technologically savvy, who don't do the same things, who don't, you know, manage their bank accounts in the same way. This man was like legit stealing from him and them. And apparently they had to deal with thousands of people like, ah, we want our money back. And they ended up having to, refund i think it was about 65 approximately 65 million dollars back because they had frauded people and i'm just like what a grifter like what does it take for you to be like you know what this man does not care about me he only cares about money and what he can get out of me when he's willing to basically let me die. Because once you can't pay your bills or you can't buy your medicine, and I'm talking about older folks, I'm not talking about the younger folks, but these older folks who need this money to survive, to pay their bills, to buy their medical, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. And it's just disgusting disgusting that he can even continue to get in front of crowds of donors and talk about how he won the election and he was cheated it's just so stupid it's just idiotic and then of course he has to blast Mitch McConnell I just Whatever is going on between the two of them, I'm just like, leave us out of it. We really do not care. Like, whatever is going on between the two of them, it's just like not any of our business. And hopefully they'll be like, you know, Godzilla and Mothra and just kind of take each other out. I don't know. Who cares? And of course, he, he still wanted people to know that Mike Pence did him wrong by not overturning an election which he had zero power to do there was nothing mike pence could do his goal of the day on january 6th was to stand up there with his round baseball head looking cute and reading off the results that's all he was a deal or no deal girl he had no point whatsoever besides the ceremonial aspect 
of counting the darn votes. And I just wish he would get, I just wish he would get over it so that we can move on. I just want to move on from this man, but the Republicans are allowing him to keep this death grip over their party. And I don't see it going well. I don't see it going well. And they're tying their success to this grifting. Anyways, I just, I just hope for better days. I really do. I really do. I don't see how they're going to come with Donald Trump as um, the head of the Republican Party, but I just wish for better days. Mitch, get him together. Like, Mitch, he's losing all control. He's losing all control. And it's cute and it's kind of funny. But at the same time, like, it's like, would you rather Mitch or Trump? What do we do? Where do we go? How do we live? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Where do we go from here? It's probably the question that Matt Gates is asking himself after the couple of weeks that he's had. Like, you thought things were tough for Andrew Cuomo, and they probably still are. We haven't heard much about him, but I'm pretty sure that things aren't going super great for him. But in terms of Gatesgate, it just gets worse like every day. So at first, we heard that Matt Gates was under investigation with the prior Department of Justice for sex trafficking of a minor and sex with the minor and all those things. Because apparently he was having a relationship with a young girl who was 17 at the time. And she was like, he gave her money or use money or whatever to either buy her gifts or to send her on trips or take her on trips across state lines. And that's technically sex trafficking. And I guess it's most basic forms here in the U S then we found out that not only are they looking into his sex trafficking here in the U S it is an apparent Bahamas trip that he took with a marijuana entrepreneur. I don't even know why they brought that guy up, but a marijuana entrepreneur and some guy who is a hand surgeon in Florida. And the hand surgeon I apparently is the guy who has funded like funded the trip and got some escorts and maybe one of the escorts was underage and That was all terrible because now we're talking about international sex trafficking. But then the Daily Beast somehow got a hold of his Venmo transactions, which I use Venmo, but I never make anything public because I just think it's weird that you can see what people are paying for. Like, I don't need social media on my cash sharing app. So I've always thought that part of Venmo is very strange. So I've always set my stuff to private. It's just weird. But apparently Matt Gates didn't think the same thing and didn't set his transactions to private. So you see him making um, payments to this hand surgeon guy. And then you see the hand surgeon actually making payments totaling like the same amount of money that he got from Gates to like other women. Once again, the, I think the belief is that one of these young women was at least 17 at the time. So that didn't look good for Matt Gates because I don't know if you've ever used Venmo, if you're familiar, but In Venmo, kind of similar to Cash App, you can put like a reason that you're sending money. And in Matt Gaetz's case, he had used such descriptions as like school, tuition, school, books, stuff like that. Something weird. Something that you maybe would 
probably not want to put as a description if you're under investigation for sex trafficking and sex with a minor. So that just didn't look good for him. Um, And then there was more reporting that it appears that he asked the former president for like a blanket pardon, like a preemptive blanket pardon before he left office. And once again, that doesn't look good because the whole gist of a pardon is, number one, you have to admit that you did the crime, right? Like, it's like when you accept one, that's also like an admission of guilt. So it just looked bad because it's like, okay, you're asking for a preemptive pardon because you know you've done something illegal. And I'm sure he also knew he was under investigation. Of course, the former administration knew that he was under investigation. Bill Barr, the attorney general, knew he was under investigation. Um, he was so aware of it to the point that he tried to basically avoid Matt Gates. Like, if he knew that he was going something that Matt Gates might be at, he would be like, I'm not going no more. Like it got to that point. Now, once again, this is, I think the New York times who's breaking like a lot of this information. And at this point, they're saying that the former president was aware of the investigation to Matt Gates. He wanted to, possibly like speak out for Matt Gates, but he was advised not to. He possibly wanted to give Matt Gates a pardon. He was once again advised not to because uh sex with a minor is very serious, which is surprising that, you know, his aides went with that because they let him slide with everything else. Um but apparently they were like, mm, you shouldn't get into this one. And surprisingly, he listened, probably because, you know, all of those cases against him as far as sexual assault and assault against minors. So the former president put out a statement this week. was like, no, he didn't ask me for a pardon. I don't, I don't know what y'all talking about. I didn't, he didn't ask me for anything, which I don't believe at all. Like, I believe that's just the bare minimum he can do is try to try to make Matt Gates look better. Um... I'm sure he's being very strongly advised against coming out in support of him, which is probably why a lot of (laughs) other Republicans have not come out either way. Only one Republican has called for him to resign, and that's Adam Kinzinger of New York. And would we expect any less from Adam Kinzinger? He's been very vocal about um, the direction of the Republican Party and how he's against it and QAnon and all that crazy right wing stuff. And Matt Gates is like the poster child for all of that at this point. So, of course, Adam Kinzinger was the only one to be like, maybe you should sit this out. But it just it just keeps getting worse for Mr. Gates, because then we found out that the colleague who was actually the original subject of all of this. And then somehow whatever they found about that colleague led to Matt Gates. His name is um, Joel Greenberg. He was a tax collector in Seminole County, Florida. I mentioned this last week. Um, it appears that he will be accepting a plea deal And with that plea deal will be a cooperation deal. So that's not looking good for Mr. Gates, Uh, especially because when doing a cooperation deal, like investigators are going to be looking for the big fish. Like they're going to be looking for someone of even higher stature to get information on to a point where they feel like a deal is acceptable, right? Like he can't just be like, oh, well, you know, I knew some dudes back in the day down the street. Like, no, they want the big fish. They want the top of the rung. So I I feel like as we go up that ladder, uh, Matt Gates is going to be there. There might be some other higher ups. I don't know. 
Um, but it's just not looking good for Matt Gates. And in a really strange like interview with um Greenberg's attorney, he said something in the effect to the media, like, yeah, I'm sure that um this is gonna be worrisome or like this is gonna be a worry to Matt Gates. And everybody was like, Why would you what would you say that for? As as a legal like attorney. Why would you say that? I don't know, but that was really strange. Um, I don't know if that was like weird foreshadowing or what, but everybody was kind of taken aback when they heard that. It was just, it's just not looking good for him. Um, However, we know how it goes to the Republicans and apparently he's following like the Trump playbook very closely. So I don't know. He's got a father with money. He's, still loved among those like fringe right wingers he did lose two like staffers uh his communications director or something like that and then another one of his staffers both left uh his camp and the women on his staff apparently put out a nice written statement saying that they back him. And he also spoke recently at the Women for America First conference or something like that, which is wild because this man is like currently under investigation for like having a relationship with a minor. Guess that doesn't matter to those guys, so... We'll just keep watching the Matt Gates story because it they're just like layers upon layers. It's also being investigated um, or it's come to light that the, part of the investigation is him asking for like a sham candidate in a Florida Senate race so that or one of those local races so that his friend could be uh, could win that race, which once again, it's not surprising for Florida because I mentioned to you guys a few weeks back that there was another former Florida senator who basically had been charged with setting up a sham candidate. And I think they also found recently that he actually had set up two sham candidates. So that's just how they get down in Florida, <laughs> obviously. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if that was, that turned out to be true. As always, I'll be watching that story because what a hot mess. Uh, I saw a lot of people rejoicing and celebrating on Twitter. And I was like, I won't do that until he's in jail. And we know how white men in the United States can get away with murder and still not go to jail. So... We will see how that goes. Speaking of white men who can get away with murder and not go to jail, the second week of the Derek Chauvin murder trial commenced. And what a time. This week we focused on, we still had a few, um, witnesses with like the police and we heard from the Minnesota State Police Chief as well as some use of force experts that was on I think Monday to Tuesday and um, they really got into you know the training how use of force is actually taught you know the methods, the reasoning, all of that stuff, they got into that. And basically from all of these witnesses that testified, they said that the use of force from Chauvin was not taught. Like it wasn't something that he learned from their teaching. It was not in any of the teaching that he had as a police officer. And he was just dead wrong, basically. Um, and then we got into um, some like lab experts who actually talked about the drugs that were found, I think, in George's car and in the police car. And um, 
basically that led us into the medical experts, the doctor who worked at the hospital in the emergency room when George Floyd came in. Um, He talked about basically, you know, what he saw from George Floyd when he was brought in, what he tried to do to save his life. Um, And then that brought us to the actual medical examiners who examined him after death. They brought in a world-renowned pulmonologist who studies breathing. Like, that's his jam. That's what he does. He studies how we breathe, you know, the lung function, all of that stuff. And he actually admitted that he took this case on for free. Um, He mentioned that it was a study he had not quite done before So he wasn't comfortable charging for it. So he did not. Normally, I think he said he charges like $500 an hour, something exorbitant. But for this case and for his testimony, he did it all for free. And he basically walked the jurors and us through how the body breathes, like what takes place when you breathe, what has to occur physically for you to breathe he instructed the uh jurors they didn't have to but he instructed them to like use their hands to touch like certain parts of their neck so that they can feel like you know what he was talking about it was a very compelling testimony from him um he stood once again 10 toes down on the fact that george floyd died because of a lack of oxygen in the body, which is technically asphyxia. A lot of, well, he, the medical examiner, um, and the lady who did the autopsy, all three of them were kind of like, we don't like to say asphyxia because that's a very broad term and it doesn't tell you much. So a lot of the time they want to give more details into what actually occurred. And, you know, this pulmonologist maintained that it was the lack of his body actually being able to get oxygen that led to his death. Uh, He showed videos and like pictures in which he said, you can see, you know, how George Floyd was moving his body in an effort to get air into his lungs, into his body, because of the way that he was being restrained on the ground. Um, he used his science and, you know, all his years of expertise to actually pinpoint the very second in which George Floyd passed away, in which he was like no longer breathing. He was no longer getting oxygen to his brain. Like that's how detailed his work was. Apparently he studied the videos for hours and hours and had to do like different simulations and all of that. But he was able to get it down to the very moment. And he can show you on the video, like this is when he took his last breath. This is when he passed away. And the crazy thing is that Officer Chauvin still pressed his knee on George Floyd's neck for, I think, about three minutes past that time. Well after George Floyd was no longer breathing. And once again, just a ridiculously compelling testimony um we had the lady who did an autopsy also discuss what she saw in the body she also noticed the same things from the pulmonologist in terms of where george floyd had you know parts of his fingers or like you know his face were scraped because she knew that like he was using his body in a way to kind of get air in and he just could not because he had one officer 
on his neck and also on his arm and then two officers on his back and he just was not able to get air in. She also said she was very sure regardless of any of the drugs or anything that might have already been in his body, which they all testified was a very low level to begin with. In spite of all of that, in spite of any health issues he may have had, the general consensus was that George Floyd died because of the restraint that the police officers put on him. Now, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner did testify. And the reason that everyone was a little confused about his uh, autopsy report to begin with is that he did list George Floyd's death as a homicide, but he did not list it due to asphyxiation. He basically said that George Floyd's heart and lungs just stopped working. And everybody was like, okay, but like, for what reason? So he did in his testimony say like, okay, yeah, like it was a homicide. George Floyd did stop breathing because of the restraint by the police officers. At the end of the day, even after the ridiculous questions from the defense, like especially to the um, medical examiner, the lady, Dr. Thomas, I believe her name is, the defense asked this lady after she said, these are the reasons that George Floyd died. It was this, you know, the police pressing on him. It was the force. It was all of that. Those were the reasons that he passed away. The defense attorney goes, well, like, okay, but if you had found George Floyd in his apartment and he had passed away, and those three reasons weren't a factor. How would you say he died? And she was like, I know she would be like, nigga, what? Like, everybody was like, what are you trying to do? He was trying to use a hypothetical, but um, it just did not compute. And you could tell that even the witness was having a hard time trying to answer it. Um, a lot of legal experts likened it to the hypothetical instance in which someone would say, Miss Lincoln, but not for the theater, how was your night? In a sense to say like, you know, besides the fact that you were in the theater and your husband just got shot to death, how was your day otherwise? But it's like you can't completely disregard the events that occurred in that day to ask somebody how their day went. Like, it doesn't make sense to ask, how would you say George Floyd passed away if there was no continual knee on his neck? Like, it doesn't make sense. But once again, we know that the defense is trying to basically say that at the exact moment that George Floyd was being knelt upon for almost 10 minutes, he also had a drug overdose and died. And it just doesn't make any sense. It's really wild. And I'm really glad that the prosecution is bringing up all the drug stuff now like, and having all of their medical witnesses talk about the drugs and talk about... Yeah, we did we did see that he had drugs in his body. However, what we saw was not enough to say he passed away from drugs. Like he was going about his day, you know, before an officer knelt on his neck for 10 minutes. Like and they also talked about the different ways in which a drug overdose would look. Like apparently he had I think fentanyl and meth in his you know bloodstream or whatever and so once again these people are saying okay but this is what a overdose looks like on those drugs like one would just kind of fall asleep and die in their sleep quite peacefully like their breathing will slow down like this is not 
what looks like a drug overdose. This looks like a man who was being knelt on by three different officers, one on his neck, who's alert and saying that he can't breathe and is not getting any care for the fact that he can't breathe. And they also brought up, and I was so glad they did this, not only the pulmonologist, but also the medical examiner. Um, And I think maybe the uh, county medical examiner, they brought up this idea that if you can breathe, you can talk. And apparently, you know, one of the, the law enforcement witnesses said that that was like kind of their thing that, that they go off. Like if a person can talk, they can breathe. I might have said that backwards the first time, but if you can talk, you can breathe is what the medical examiner said is a common misconception because just because a person can talk right now doesn't mean that in the next 30 seconds they'll be able to or that they'll be alive. The pulmonologist explained what it takes to talk. He was like, to be able to talk, all you need to have had happen before is that you took in air and then you can talk by exhaling air because that's how we talk. When we talk, we exhale. So he said, all you really need to talk is to have been able to take some air in. And so we know that at a certain point, George Floyd was able to take air in, but that doesn't mean that he was taking it in well. That doesn't mean he was taking in enough. That that doesn't mean that his breathing wasn't being disrupted just because he can talk. And so they talked about how it's a misconception. Um, Some of the legal experts on the news were saying that this might even change how police are trained just because it is that misconception that if you can talk, you can breathe. But we're not talking about the factors that may be occurring that are limiting um, a person's breath. And we know that that to be true in the case of George Floyd, who was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. It might not have been that he couldn't necessarily breathe at all. It's that he wasn't getting adequate breath into his body. And per the, you know, medical experts, that's what led to his death. When you can't get the oxygen that you need into your body, like your brain is going to stop working. And then your brain stops working. And then all those other body parts stop functioning. So, if not anything, it was very educational week um, the last couple of days. It makes a very compelling case like to have these people, these very smart, educated white people. The rena- world-renowned pulmonologist is actually from Scotland, but he's done his work. You know, a lot of it in the United States. He, I think he got his medical degree in Scotland, but he's like, you know, I have what is the equivalent to, you know, a United States medical degree. He's practiced in multiple states. So it's very important to see these figures saying, this is my expert opinion, not just opinion. Like these are, this is the science This is why I made my conclusion and this is why I stand on my conclusion. It was very compelling to have them on the stand all saying that. And that that conclusion was, had it not been for the police restraint and them actually kneeling on his back and his neck for the first four and a half to five minutes like George Floyd would be alive today um I'm not saying it gives me a lot of hope I'm just saying that it was really um it was really good to see that when we know that unfortunately George Floyd's drug use and all of that is going to be on trial as soon as the defense 
um, gets to their point. I read somewhere in an article today that the state will probably wrap up their case um, maybe Monday this week. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have it in me to heavily watch the defense because I know I know we've already seen like little parts of how it works but I know what the defense is going to try to use in order to tear down George Floyd and I don't think it's fair at all that George Floyd's past gets to come up in this trial but Derek Chauvin's does not like he has had past reports of excessive force. There's apparently a video of him kneeling on a 17 year old's neck for an extended amount of time, but none of that gets to be brought up in this case, which is it's it's sad and it's unfortunate because George Floyd is the one who's dead. He's not the one on trial here. And what he did before his encounter with the police doesn't matter when that has nothing to do with the reason he died. And I think these uh, medical experts made that very clear. Um, I'm sure the defense is going to bring their own experts to counter that. But here's the kicker with this case in Minnesota you don't have to prove that your actions were the only factor in the death you just have to prove that they played a part so quite honestly I think that's why the uh, prosecution has brought up all the things like the drug use and all of that that we know the defense is going to bring up. But all they have to prove is that it was Derek Chauvin's actions that contributed to the death of George Floyd. It doesn't have to be the only thing, but if it contributed... That's how the law works in Minnesota. And so he can he can definitely be found guilty. Um, will he be? I don't know. Uh, it depends on how effective, I guess, the defense is. They haven't been that great in the first couple of weeks, but we don't know what they're going to try to pull out um, against George Floyd. But once again... I don't know who you could bring in to counter the experts when they say, this is what happened. We saw it. We studied it. We watched countless videos. The medical examiner for Hennepin County said, I didn't even watch the videos at first because I wanted to give my own occurrence or opinion of what happened. And I didn't want to be biased, which is probably why he maybe didn't necessarily put like asphyxia because of police, because maybe he hadn't seen the video yet. But yeah, you have more than more than three, I think, medical professionals, people who study in toxicology and all of that who are like, Yeah, he had drugs in his system, but that's not what killed him. He didn't overdose. You know, he didn't so happen to just take some drugs and then overdose at the same time that he's being pressed against the hard ground, which I think um, the pulmonologist made a very good point. He was like, listen, he is already struggling to breathe because of the fact that he's in handcuffs and how the handcuffs are being, you know, how his body's being pulled, his arms are being pulled behind him. He's already struggling because there's a knee on his neck. He's already struggling because there are two grown men kneeling on his back. But the worst part about it all is that he's in between those forces and concrete. And it was the concrete street that did not allow 
him to have any extra leeway when it came to trying to breathe. And that was just like so heartbreaking to me because he was really between a rock and a hard place. And I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I want to have, I want to have hope for justice for George Floyd, but you, we all know in the United States, it's really hard to do. So that was week two in the Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, I don't really care enough to pronounce his name the correct way, but that was week two in his murder trial. So we'll see if the state wraps up on Monday and then we'll see how long it takes the defense. I think many people have expected this to be like a four-week trial. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Fingers crossed. And I just want to make one quick point about um, all of the drama that's going on around um, voting and voting rights and restrictions and all of that. Um, companies are actually starting to get on notice. They're starting to make changes. I think I mentioned in last week's episode that the MLB had decided to take their all-star games out of Atlanta, Georgia and move them to Denver, Colorado. And there was a lot of misinformation going on. They were like, well, you guys are mad about voting restrictions, but Denver's even more strict. And that's not true. That's not true at all. Denver is 100% mail-in voting. They do allow you to vote on election day, but because most people vote by mail, like their election day voting is very slim and they're in and out. Not like how you can be in line in Atlanta or surrounding areas in Georgia for 12 hours. Um, And they like have the highest voter turnout in the U.S. Because once again, it's 100% vote by mail. All eligible voters get a absentee ballot and it's so easy for them to vote there. So, number one, that's a misconception. That's not true. (laughs) I had to laugh, though, because y'all boy, Addison Mitchell McConnell, was incensed about it. And so he made sure that he let corporations know that he finds it mad stupid that they would even open their mouths to talk about what's going on or to play sides in politics. And he would advise them not to do that. But then he also like right after that was like, but hey, donate to us. Which I thought was interesting because if you guys remember, I think it might've been the first or second episode of the podcast. I discussed with you guys Citizens United, which was basically a decision in the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court said that corporations can give to politics, they basically can use their corporations or their companies as a voice, like they have a political voice and right to be involved in politics. And guess who was like a super huge champion for Citizens United at the time? Mitchell McConnell but now that corporations are actually using their voice like the Supreme Court said they could like he thought was cool while he was taking money from them now that they're using that voice he has a problem with it but he still says you can give money just don't get in don't get in between our fight make any sense Mitch that doesn't make any sense like either you want them to have a voice and you want them to be able to give their dark money into politics or you don't and if you don't that's why you should pour HB1 the For the People Act because 
In that act, it would get rid of corporations giving money to politics and being able to use their voices in politics um, like Mitch McConnell says they shouldn't do, right? Like we agreed. That's what we agreed on, right? So if he's such a proponent for corporations minding their business, then maybe he should support HB1 so that corporations won't be in politics. So normal people won't have to be bothered by the fact that corporations are buying politics, you know, like the NRA. Anyways, that was just a cute little thought I had to end the show. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Guess what? I'm on YouTube now. Yay! So you can find me on YouTube if you want to listen to me there. You will also find um, the extended versions of the interviews and roundtables that I have done so far for the show. And I'll continue to um, add that exclusive content there in the future. So check me out on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share. Thank you guys. Have a great week. Bye.